morning. We're uh, in the middle of our series called The Big Picture, uh, looking at the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And we are going to start with a little bit of a fun way to do some review to see how well everybody's been listening the last few weeks. So if you have a device that you can get on the internet with, I would invite you to take out that device. If you're okay to use data, we'd ask you to use data if you're here in this room so that we don't impact the live stream. But go to kahoot.it, kahoot.it. We're going to play a little game of Kahoot to review uh, our big picture sermon series. And if you're at home, we invite you to play along as well. And we're not really sure how this is going to work because our live stream is about probably 20 seconds delayed uh, to you watching it at home. So you're not going to be able to answer quite as quickly as those in the room, but I'm going to trust that maybe you're smarter than the people in this room, and they'll be a little slower to respond, and it'll all just balance out. So, uh, so yeah, if you go to kahoot.it, and if we could put up the uh, first screen, there should be a pin number on that. And so once you've got kahoot.it, it'll ask for a pin, and I'll just make sure that that is actually accurate by uh, pulling out my own here. Um, and if you have the app, you can actually play it through the app. Uh, so, you know, if you're a student, you've probably done this at school. So you're, you can tell your mom and dad how to play along with us if you're at home or here in this room. Okay, so you go to kahoot.it. I think we're working on getting the screen up here with what we're doing. K-A-H-O-O-T dot it. K-A-H-O-O-T dot it. Shaka, this is your prop for this morning, so I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> all right, he doesn't mind being embarrassed in front of the world on the internet, so it's all good. Uh, maybe I'll play along too here just to see how it works. Four, zero, the pin number is 4030154. Does that seem to be working? Okay. And uh, I've just put my name in there, so we'll see. There should be a whole bunch of names popping up on the screen, which it looks like there is. So what will happen, there'll be a question, there'll be multiple answers. You'll read the answers on the screen, and you'll answer them on your device. So there'll be like a, a color that corresponds to the appropriate answer. It'll make sense, trust me, it'll be, it'll be fun. Okay, so let's go to the next screen and see what happens, which means start. Okay, the big picture review. Uh, mine's still loading, so I'm just going to give it a second here. Okay, question number one should be popping up. Is everybody reading that okay? Okay. Don't yell out your answers. You'll give it away for everybody. Unless you're at home and you're all working together, then yell them out and work together and do your best. And we'll give uh, a few seconds here for people at home, because they're about 20 seconds behind, we figure, so we've got to give them at least that to let them answer the question. So it'll look like people have stopped responding. And I don't know how many people at home are actually playing along, so there's really no way of knowing how fast or how slow to go. Does anybody know how many players we had, did it say? 40? Okay, 49 players we had. Okay, so we got to give a few more seconds. Come on, you people at home, show how smart you are. 
Okay, I think everybody's answered. Let's go to the next, uh, let's see what happens. You'll see if you got it right or not, it'll say correct or incorrect, okay? And, uh, okay, a few of you need to do your homework, that's all right. Um, Jojo McGuffa, I think, is Joshua Vandermeer, so he's going to be showing off how smart he is. Uh, I don't know who the googly eyes are or any of those other ones, so I guess we'll see. All right, so let's go to the next question. And is it up? Yeah. What is the title of the second sermon in our big picture series? It might not have been God came into the vacuum. I'll just give you that hint. Everybody's thinking, thinking, going back and checking their sermon notes. If you brought your journal with you that you could take notes in, you've got an advantage. I see somebody doing that. Think through, what was the second title, or sorry, title of the second sermon in our big picture series? It was about Abraham, but I don't think Abraham's name was in the title. I'll stop giving hints now. People at home are going to be smarter than you guys because I'm giving too many hints. Although the hints are coming too late for them anyway, so ha, it's all good. Isn't this fun? They were like playing around and... It's like a youth event in church. It's so awesome. This was like Zoom youth last spring. These guys are sick of it. So, okay, how did we do? Oh, okay, not, not too bad. Is Jojo McGuffa still in the lead? That'll be the question. Okay, let's go to the next, uh, next slide. Oh, hey, Rev Craig got on the board. Woo! All right, um... Let's go to the next question. I'm hoping the people at home are still keeping up with us here. Uh, so next question. Moses first appeared in which book of the Bible? Don't yell out your answers. Everyone will hear you. Moses first appears in which book of the Bible? I don't know if I made that grammatically correct or not, but... Uh, there's a couple questions I should have ran past him because he's our grammar expert on staff. So if I didn't word that quite right, that's all on me. Moses first appeared in which book of the Bible? The answers are coming in. We're getting close to everybody. Oh, a few people at home are taking their time. They're looking it up in their concordance or something. They've got all their resources at home. We've just got, you know, your phone in your hand, but... Uh, we're getting close. Okay. Oh, we have 50 people playing now. Okay, good. All right, let's go. Uh, what happened here? Exodus. Good job. Good job. All right. And let's see who's in the lead. Has anyone taken Joshua off the throne? Let's see. Oh. <clears throat> go Hawks. Is that a Seahawks fan? Al, I'm thinking maybe that's you at home. I don't know. All right, next question. Last week, Pastor Terry talked about heroes and our need for a what? Heroes and our need for a something. A servant, an advocate, a counselor, a king. Heroes and our need for... This was just last week, people. Come on. Like, you guys should, you should get this. It might even still be on our website if you're not sure. I don't know. Okay, the people at home must be getting it about now because they're starting to 
pop up on the screen. Heroes and our need for a blank. Come on, people. We need about 10 more answers coming in. What was Pastor Terry talking about last week? Seven days ago. All right. Oh, good job. More people got it right than didn't. That's good. And I got to stop answering. Give somebody else a chance since I created this. But Joshua, somebody's got to get Joshua off the throne here. Okay. Next question. Who said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord? Don't yell out your answers. I'm going to wait till the people at home can answer before I press mine, just to, you know, even it out a little bit. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Who said that? If you're at home playing along and you can, like, multitask, tell us in the comments how this is going for you on the Facebook uh, chat. That would be awesome to know if this is working uh, for you guys or not. And if you're still just trying to answer questions, focus on that first, and then let us know how's it going for you. We're getting close to everybody having answered. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Who said it? Abraham, Joshua, King David, or Samuel? Joshua is... Oh, sorry, I thought somebody skipped to the next one. Okay, here we go. Joshua is the correct answer. Most people got it. That's awesome. And... Joshua, still in the lead. Okay, I think we have one question left. So let's see, what is the last question, last chance to dethrone Joshua? All right. Pastor Craig will be talking about the wisdom books today. True or false? Pick the answer, true or false. Pastor Craig will be talking about the wisdom books today. Hopefully I get this one right. Otherwise... You guys are not going to hear the correct sermon for today. This has taken much longer than I thought it would. Tim's on a mission to get first. Tim, did you study ahead of time? You had the questions prior to this, so. Okay, okay. How are we doing here? We got 40 people, 41. We're getting close to everybody. Yeah, we need the Jeopardy music. We don't have the Kahoot. There's like some fun Kahoot music that we just didn't pipe in because it actually gets a little annoying after a while, but it is kind of fun. All right. I am going to be talking about the wisdom books today. All right. So what happens if we hit the next, uh, next screen? What shows up? The big picture review. Okay, the little uh, trophies go out. Seahawks fan. And who got first? Awesome. Okay, I got a text from somebody that they were about 30 seconds behind, but Kahoot was a blast, so that's good to hear. Okay, so the people at home really didn't have much chance. So it would be too bad we couldn't have two, you know, two awards going out, one for in-house in and one for at home. But thanks for playing Kahoot. Maybe we'll try that again another time when we've got, you know, 
less of a sermon. I don't know. Yeah, so now forgive me for, you know, being a little over today. But uh, we are going to be looking at the wisdom books uh, this morning in our big picture series. And it's a bit of a pause on the narrative of Scripture. So we've been looking at sort of the story of God through Genesis, Exodus, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and on. You know, last week was the Kings. And so today when we come to the wisdom books, um, they're a bit of a pause in the narrative and more about sort of just how to live well in God's world. And the books that we'll be looking at uh, in a real overview kind of fashion this morning uh, will be Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Psalms. Um, Song of Songs is often included in that, and sometimes Lamentations would be included in the wisdom books of the Bible. Um, Today we'll just be looking at those four, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Psalms. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean to live well in God's world? What does it mean to live well in God's world? And maybe you would think of the question of what does it mean to live well? Right? And maybe slogans like, you know, live in the dream or, you know, live in the good life. You know, those would be your definition of living well. You'd think of, you know, how am I doing financially? How am I doing relationally? How am I doing, you know, in my education? And uh, different things like that might define whether you're living well or not, right? Living the dream, living the good life. I'm living well. Um, I want us to consider what does it mean to live well in God's world? So, with a God perspective, What does it mean to live well, to live well for him? And it might be some similar things. It might be some different things than how you would answer that question of, you know, what is the good life or what is the dream? You know, what are the goals and and the things that I'm pursuing and and all the things that that, uh, are bringing satisfaction to me? Um, You know, some of that might be part of living well in God's world. Some might not. That's kind of what we're going to explore today. So we are going to look a real kind of overview at Proverbs, Job, Uh, Ecclesiastes and Psalms. And let me just pause and pray and just invite the Lord to speak to us from his word as we open it this morning. So Jesus, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you uh, that your word is truth. Uh, We thank you that your word is wisdom for us. And as we look at the wisdom books today, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to pour out your wisdom for us. Help us to open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us. Help us to open our hearts to receive from you today and, and whether it's a word of correction, a word of, uh, of um, just alignment, uh, a word of encouragement, uh, we invite you to bring a word to us this morning from your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look, uh, first passage we're going to look at is, uh, sorry, my phone was buzzing there and lots of people really enjoyed Kahoot. So that's good to hear. Thank you for participating. Um, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 18, and sort of looking at this idea that there's two paths to choose from. As we look at the, the wisdom books, they often refer to these two paths or these two ways of life or two options for how to live. Wisdom or folly? And especially in Proverbs, we see this idea of wisdom or folly. The way of wisdom, the way of folly. Lady wisdom and dame folly. And they're introduced to us in Proverbs chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there to Proverbs 9, uh, verses 1 to 18. And this is how um, lady wisdom and, and dame folly are introduced 
as part of the book of Proverbs. So let me just uh, read it for us. Wisdom has built her house. So Lady Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls. From the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly, on the other hand, folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This passage introduces to us this theme that is throughout the wisdom books, this theme of two paths or two options to live by, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And as outlined in this passage in Proverbs 9, wisdom leads to life, fullness of life. Wisdom has everything to offer for living well in God's world. And folly, on the other hand, though it seems interesting and appealing and satisfying at the time, the way of folly leads to death and destruction. And that's really the bottom line of these two options. And as we consider living well in God's world, there's really only two paths to choose from. Are we living on the path of wisdom? Are we living on the path of folly? And this theme is threaded throughout the wisdom books, and we're going to kind of explore it a little bit this morning. Uh, If you were to read Psalm 1, which we don't have time for today, but Psalm 1 starts out in a very similar way, talking about uh, the, the righteous and the wicked, right? Blessed are those who walk in the way of the righteous, and doomed are those who walk in the way of the wicked. So wisdom, folly, righteous, wicked, those are kind of the two options. So we're going to look really quickly at uh, a few of these wisdom books and what they have to say about these options and how to live well in God's world. And the first book that we're looking at is Proverbs. We've already read a passage out of it. And I want to just talk a little bit about Proverbs. Proverbs, when it comes to wisdom and folly, talks about the probable outcomes. The probable outcomes. Proverbs are not a book of promises, And when we read Proverbs, we see all these little statements, these little wise sayings. And we might read them and think that they're promises of God. If we live a certain way, things are going to turn out a certain way. But Proverbs really are about probabilities. It's about the general rule uh, versus, um, um, you know, being a promise or a guarantee. 
Proverbs are not a book of guarantees. So let's just look at a couple of examples and, and kind of explore it a bit. In the passage I just read in chapter 9, Proverbs 9 verse 12, says, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now that's the probability. That's the general rule. But it's not a guarantee because I know wise people who have not been rewarded. And I know uh, those who would be on the path of folly or uh, uh, the mocker, as it's described in this verse, um, who are actually rewarded and they don't suffer. So that proverb is not a promise. It's not a guarantee, but it's the general rule. Another one that uh, kind of uh, speaks to this is Proverbs 10, verse 27. It says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Again, it's a probability. Those who fear the Lord, who are on the path of wisdom, they will have length of life. Um, But the years of the wicked are cut short. Now, I again, I know some people who, on the path of wisdom, fearing the Lord, their lives were cut short. We just watched the movie last night about Jeremy Camp and his first wife who battled cancer, and she was a righteous person, God-fearing person. Her life was cut short. So it's not the guarantee. The Proverbs are probabilities. Uh, Here's another one that's uh, a little bit more uh, entertaining, maybe. Proverbs 16, verse 31. Proverbs 16, verse 31 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Now, I have a little bit of gray hair, and I would love to believe that this proverb is because I've lived such a righteous life that my hair is filling up with gray. Uh, But I also know that around the time that we started having kids, we didn't sleep for about three or four years, and I noticed gray hair starting to come in. It might have been related to that. So, again, proverbs are probabilities, not guarantees. But when we look at the two paths, the path of wisdom, the path of folly, Generally speaking, the wise will receive the fullness of life. The fool will suffer destruction, especially in the temporal world, but even more so in eternal perspectives. The way of wisdom leads to life. That is a guarantee. The way of folly leads to destruction. That, too, is a guarantee. But the book of Proverbs is about probabilities. So there's no guarantees, which leads us to the next book, um, the book of Job. And the book of Job shows us that pain is possible on the path of wisdom. Pain is possible on the path of wisdom or suffering or disappointment. These things are possible for those who are on the path of wisdom, for those who fear God. So I didn't put these scriptures on the screen, but just listen to this story as I'll I'll read snippets of it and just fill in the rest. But in Job chapter 1, we're introduced to Job. So listen to these first few verses. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. You talk about somebody living the dream, 
or living the good life, that was Job in Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. You know, he had everything. He had wealth. He had family. He had all these material blessings, and and he was enjoying life. He was living the good life. In verse 6, listen to what happens next. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Well, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So we're kind of taken into this heavenly courtroom scene. God and his angels and Satan comes in and says, hey, what about Job? Like, he only loves you because you've blessed him so much. Like, he is living the dream. And God says, I don't believe that's so. So, you know, basically go and do what you will with Job. And the next few verses talk about how all of his flocks and herds and sheep, they're all stolen his children are all, you know, partying together in one of their houses and, and uh, the house gets uh, torn apart by winds and it crushes them and his children are, are, uh, um, are put to death. And so, you know, Job has now been stripped away of everything he has and it, uh, towards the end of chapter one, we see Job's response. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So then Satan comes back and he says, okay, well, what about if we just like afflict him with all kinds of disease and we'll put boils all over him and make life really uncomfortable for him. And so he goes and he does that. And at the end of that, Job, you know, then it kind of launches into this whole book of, of Job's friends trying to come and encourage him with all their theological musings and stuff like that. But the gist of the book of Job is that it points out that on the path of wisdom, pain is actually possible. And in the face of Proverbs, which talks about all these probabilities that if you fear God and live for him, you know, life will go well, then we have Job, where he did that, and life actually didn't go that well. Everything was taken from him. Pain is possible. Thankfully, at the end of the book, we see some resolution. And I just want to read uh, this one verse from Job 42. Because all of this suffering, all of the disappointment, all of the hardship that Job had to endure led to this. Job 42, verse 5. My ears, so he's talking to God, Job talking to God. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Through all of the pain... uh, Job had a deeper, richer encounter with the living God. And if that was what it was all about, he, you know, maintained sort of the blessing of being on the path of wisdom, even though it was not the kinds of blessing anyone would wish for themselves. But as we consider the two paths, Proverbs gives us probable outcomes. Job tells us that pain is possible on the path of wisdom, which might actually make us wonder, well, then what's the point Why bother choosing the path of the wise if we might all endure pain? We might not. We might all be rewarded. We might not if it's just all chance. 
What's the point? And that leads us to the next book that we're going to look at this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes uh, is basically summed up by pointless, sorry, pointless pursuits that are exposed. If we just say, you know what, let's give it all the chance, just, let's just live life and whatever, Ecclesiastes shows us that pointless pursuits are really exposed for what they are, as pointless pursuits. And I'll warn you, if you're in a, in, a, in a state of sort of mild depression, don't read the book of Ecclesiastes, or at least read it all in one sitting so that you get to the really good part at the end. Uh, it's a little bit depressing to read through it bit by bit, but Ecclesiastes chapter 1, look at how it starts out. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And that's kind of the point of the whole book. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Like I said, it's not really fun to read. You kind of have to get right, you know, right through it, right to the end. Um, that word meaningless is repeated 38 times through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if we were to go into sort of the, the sort of deeper translations of that word, some other ways of defining it uh, might be better uh, served as vapor or smoke. If you think of a vapor or a smoke and you try to grasp it, when you think you've grasped the smoke, it, it disappears in your hand and it shifts and it moves. And that's kind of the point of Ecclesiastes, that everything is smoke. All of the pursuits of life that I go after, when I grasp it, it actually shifts, it disappears in my hand. When I think I've got it, it's no longer there, it's moved. Smoke, smoke, smoke. Everything is smoke. Verse 12, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless or smoke, a chasing after the wind. Again, the point of Ecclesiastes is that pointless pursuits are exposed. The book is basically a deconstruction of all the ways we try to find meaning and purpose in life apart from God. So the teacher, sort of this main character through Ecclesiastes, starts pointing out the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of career or education and the pursuit of status. And all of these pursuits, he said, they're, they're like vapor or smoke. We think we're gaining ground, and when we get there, it's shifted. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So let's fast forward to the good part in uh, chapter 12. At the end, kind of what's the point of all of this? And here's where he sums it all up. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So at the end of it all, the one pursuit that really matters is the pursuit of God. To fear God and keep his commandments. What do we do with all these other pursuits? Earlier in the book, in chapter 8, he talks about how we should embrace them as gifts from God. If we have wealth, wealth isn't bad. Enjoy it as a gift of God. If we have relationships, relationships aren't bad. Enjoy them as a gift from God. But at the end of the day, all of those pursuits are pointless if God is not in the middle of it all. So the bottom line of Ecclesiastes is fear God and keep his commandments. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, which is basically a way of saying God will make everything right. Instead of us grasping and searching and striving, let's leave the results up to God. Let him make things right. Let's live for him. Put him first because he will make things right. So living well is to follow the path of wisdom that's outlined in Proverbs as probabilities but not guaranteed. In Job, we see that the path of wisdom may lead to pain and suffering. And we see that in Ecclesiastes, uh, that living well is to follow the path of wisdom because that's the ultimate path that matters. It's the ultimate path with meaning and purpose is to live well by living on the path of wisdom. And I'll just say this too. Wisdom is the path with kind of the long view in mind. If we go back to that passage we read earlier, Proverbs chapter 9, and and these two ladies, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, and inviting people to come follow them and embrace their life. You know, Lady Wisdom, her, her path led to life and blessing and contentment and satisfaction. And Dame Folly led to destruction. And that might be the long view in mind. As we go through life and the ups and downs of life and we're tempted to turn and respond and react and in different ways because of the different circumstances we're in, we need to keep the long view in mind that the way of wisdom is looking down the road, looking ahead, letting God settle things out in his time and his plan, and we just remain true to him and follow him. So I want to just wrap up with a, a little bit of a, a bottom line for living well in God's world. How, how can we live well in God's world? If our desire truly is to follow the path of wisdom, how can we cultivate this Uh, this uh, life of living well in God's world. So I want to go back to Proverbs 9, verse 10, the passage I read earlier. And it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the path. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a phrase that's repeated often throughout the wisdom books. Over 30 times, you'll see the the phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not like a Halloween type of fear. It's not being scared of God. But the fear of the Lord is is like awe or reverence. The fear of the Lord is, is putting God in his rightful place as there's one God in this world and it's not me, right? There's one God in this world and it's not you. The fear of the Lord is recognizing that God is unique and above and over all. He is the creator and sustainer of life. And our lives are meant to be lived humbly before him. In reverence and awe and respect and submission and humility. So the fear of the Lord is coming to grips with the fact that there is one God and it's not me. So how do we cultivate this fear of the Lord? And we're going to kind of really rip through this pretty fast. But first thing... Trust God. Cultivate a heart that trusts God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. If we're going to live in the fear of the Lord on the path of wisdom, we need to cultivate a heart that trusts God, that puts him above. You know, remember there's, there's one God and it's not me. So we need to trust him. When life goes sideways and the path seems like it's going a different direction than what we thought, we can't take life into our own 
Uh, we can't take it by our own, you know, grip and, and try to make decisions ourselves. We need to trust him and submit to him, allow him to make our path straight. So cultivating a fear of the Lord begins with trusting God. The second thing is to follow God. We read in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. If we truly do trust God in our hearts, it's going to lead towards living for him with our hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouths. We're, we're going to follow him and live for him and obey him. So a fear of the Lord is trusting him in our heart. It's living for him with our bodies. And thirdly, we didn't really get into the Psalms, but it's about talking to God honestly And if we look through the wisdom literature, Psalms is a huge part of it, and we don't have time to go into it today. But the Psalms is basically the prayer book of the Old Testament, and it's even the prayer book of Jesus. He quotes the Psalms uh, throughout his life and ministry, and the Psalms really are examples and maybe even language for us to talk to God in all of life's circumstances, the ups and the downs. There's lots of ways of looking at the book of Psalms, but there's basically two categories of Psalms, Psalms of praise and psalms of lament. Psalms of celebration, when life's going well and everything's going good and we are living the dream, we can praise God. We're hashtag blessed, right? And we can, we can praise him. But when life's not going like that, then what? Well, then we can look to the psalms of lament. And the psalmist would ask, God, where are you? God, please show up. God, please rescue me. God, I don't know what to do. God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. All of these psalms of lament And they give us the ups and downs of life. And as we're going through life on the path of wisdom, with that long view in mind of following God faithfully, fearing him, we have uh, a way to talk to him. And the Psalms give us this example of what it looks like to pray and to talk to God honestly. So to live well in God's world, we need to fear the Lord. And we don't need to be afraid of him. We need to submit to him. We need to trust him in our hearts. We need to follow him with our lives. We need to talk to him through the ups and downs of life. And lastly, as we go to the communion table, I want to encourage us to look to Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we're kind of wrapping this up here. But look to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Let me just read that. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That verse comes at the end of a passage where uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about the message of the cross. In verse 18 he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. And that verse I just read said that Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So as we come to the communion table and as you take those elements before you, I want to encourage you to to just take them and and remember a few things. Don't don't, uh, digest them yet. Let me just talk for a minute about them. Jesus is God's wisdom for us. And as God's wisdom, he is the way to the path of wisdom. He is the way to the Father. He is the, he is the one who brings, gives access for us to have relationship with God. And these symbols represent what Jesus did on the cross. The bread represents his body. The, the cup represents his blood that was shed on the cross. 
And if we think of Jesus, he's also an example for us to follow, somebody who feared the Lord. On the night uh, that he was arrested, he was wrestling with God in a garden, talking honestly with him about what was to come and how he was really afraid to walk the path that God had in store for him. So just like we talked about talking honestly to God, Jesus exemplified that for us in the garden when he was wrestling it so that he was so fearful and stressed out that he, he dropped his sweat was like drops of blood. That was how disturbed he was. And talking honestly to God, he trusted God. Not my will, but yours be done. And in trusting him, he followed him. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was put on a cross. He was put to death. And all of that was for a reason. It was God's wisdom, which seems like foolishness as the Paul talks about in Corinthians. The message of the cross is like foolishness to the world, but it is God's wisdom for us. It is the way of life. So as we take the elements today, let's just be reminded that Jesus is God's wisdom for us. He is the one through whom we gain access to the path of wisdom. He's the one who sustains us on that path, and he's an example for us of what it looks like to walk that path. So let's take the bread and remember that this is representative of Jesus' body for you. Let's take together. And as we take the cup, be reminded that this represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for forgiveness of sin so that we could have access to Father God and relationship with him. Let's take together. 